This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Khabib and Connor get their suspensions. John Jones obtains a one-fight license and can compete at UFC 235. Aaron Pico loses again. The UFC heads to Fortaleza, Brazil for a likely bantamweight title eliminator. And we are joined by Marlon Rice who headlines the card against Rafael Asuncao, the only opponent who has beaten him in the UFC thus far. Thanks to those listening to the podcast or on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about it, review us on iTunes. All of the feedback is appreciated. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Aaron Bronstetter. So the Nevada State Athletic Commission hearing has wrapped up and we have our suspensions, we have our Result on John Jones and whether he is going to have a fee, sorry, a license handed to him by the commission. Handed to him is probably saying it loosely because that commission hearing seemed to take forever. Uh, the Khabib and Connor portion of the hearing didn't take much time because there was a settlement reached in advance. Khabib Nurmagomedov gets a $500,000 fine as well as a nine-month suspension that can be reduced to a three-month suspension should he go and record a, an anti-bullying PSA. I mean, I, I don't know how what happened was bullying. He jumped out of the cage and went after one of Connor's corner men. But be that as it may, he can get a suspension reduced to six months. Whereas Connor got a six-month suspension and a $50,000 fine for his role in the brawl, which was essentially standing around and then trying to get over the cage and then striking one of Khabib's corner men at the top of the cage. Much smaller role than what happened with, uh, with Khabib. So that's uh, where that lands. And we now know when those two individuals will be eligible. Now, when I say that they're eligible, folks, especially those on Twitter, please, please, please know that I'm not saying that's when they're going to fight. Because people are like, oh, it's Ramadan, blah, blah. No, no. His eligibility has nothing to do with Ramadan. So McGregor will be eligible to compete as of April 6th, 2019, as will Khabib if he does the PSA. And if not, he'll be eligible to compete on July 6th, which is the exact date of International Fight Week. Uh, April 6th is one week prior to UFC 236, where information is very, very, very sparse. We don't know a location. Uh, we just know a date, and we don't know anybody on the card. So uh, a lot to uh, digest from this hearing, and we're going to get into that right now. Um, on top of those suspensions, I should add that um, Abubakar Namagomedov got, I believe it was a $25,000 suspension, but a one, uh, sorry, fine and a one-year suspension, and the same penalty was levied to um, Zubaira Tuhugov, who actually struck Connor in the octagon after the event. Um, so I, from what I understand, Khabib is going to be paying their fines for them. So he's, uh, and I think it was, he's paying his lawyer a good amount of money too. So I think he's out like $600,000, which is a big chunk of change. It's the biggest payday of his career, but that's, uh, you know, those aren't small potatoes. And kudos to Khabib for paying off his uh, cornerman's um, fines, which is a pretty classy move on his behalf. Now, of course, what happened after UFC 229 is a completely different story, but let's let that go. We've we've heard and seen just about all we need to see from that. We can now proceed with the knowledge that that's when their suspensions end. Again, that does not mean that that's when they are going to participate in a contest in the Octagon. It's just when they're eligible. I know that Khabib has Ramadan. He doesn't train during Ramadan. I know that Connor doesn't have anything signed. But I, I do think it's interesting that UFC 236 has absolutely no information. We ha- already have information about UFC 237. We have uh, Rose versus Andrade announced. It's going to be in Brazil. The location hasn't necessarily been confirmed from what I understand, but it's going to be in Curitiba in a stadium as per reports. So that's what UFC 237 is going to look like. Now let's get to John Jones. This was a long, drawn-out hearing as a result of the Nevada State Athletic Commission wanting to hear absolutely all the information that is pertinent to John Jones in his case. Now, he did have his VADA test come back with picograms per milliliter, a certain amount of picograms per milliliter. I think it was 36 or something along those lines. Or 63. I don't remember the exact number. But uh, they wanted to look at that, and they wanted to hear what was going on. Now, to their credit, they really did not do anything to go after Jones himself. Now, I think that they are of the opinion that there is no readministration based on what they've heard from the people that were discussing the information. 
I guess, I don't know if it's on behalf of Jones or, or just uh, to make the commission clear on what exactly the situation was. So I think really what the commission wanted to do was to scrutinize the process in which Jones competed at UFC 232. I don't think they were looking to go after Jones. I, I really think that their intention going in was to grant him a license of some sort, uh, the end result being a one-fight license, with the um, caveat that he has to be tested at least twice a month leading up to the event. Now, of course, the event is in roughly a month. So basically it needs to be t- tested at least twice in the month of February. Or, you know, there's two more days left in February, in January. He's in Vegas. I mean, it probably would be pretty easy. And uh, we just got some news, actually, that uh, Artem Lobov has been released from the UFC. This just came down from uh, Ariel Helwani. Had three fights left on his deal. Oh, actually, one sec. That uh, tweet has since been deleted. And it wasn't a fake account. It wasn't a fake account. So maybe he's just uh, rewording it. We'll we'll keep you posted on that one because uh, I went to go retweet it and it had disappeared. So we'll see if uh, that is, in fact, the case. I might have spoken too soon. But, you know, breaking news pops up on my phone. I want to make sure that we get to it. And I'll, I'll keep my, uh, my eye on it to see what's going on there. But John Jones gets a one-fight license. He can compete at UFC 235. And I would expect him to be at the Thursday press conference uh, that will feature the athletes at UFC 235. Now, the interesting thing about that press conference to me is if it is Jones, Smith, Kamaru Usman, um, Tyron Woodley, Ben Askren, and... Um, Robbie Lawler, and you might also have Jeremy Stevens and Zabit Magomed Sheripov there. I'm not exactly sure who else. It could be Holm and Ladd. They haven't really disclosed it yet. It could be Garbrandt and Munoz. I don't know. But um, if, it's, if it has Askren there and has Usman there, it's interesting to me because Askren is a longtime training partner and friend of Tyron Woodley, and he's been going after Marty from Nebraska, as he's been calling him, Kamaru Usman, for some time. And I just think the banter between them is going to be probably the most interesting thing to come of this press conference. Now, I don't know if Smith is going to take shots at John Jones uh, and, and this whole thing. It seems like that's always been something of, uh, of uh, a topic that people tend to go after. Now, Ariel has once again tweeted this, so I don't know if he just made a correction, but Artel Movav has, in fact, been released from the UFC. He asked for his release, um, and the promotion has granted it to him. He had three fights left on his deal, and according to Ariel, he's looking to support to uh, secure new MMA, boxing, and kickboxing contracts. Um, more coming to ESPN shortly per aerial. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that was uh, that was the request was made as a result of Zubaira Tuhugov being suspended until October because I know that's who Artem was looking to fight um, next. So that's uh, that's the situation with Artem, unfortunately released from the uh, the UFC per his uh, per his own request. So that's where uh, Artem Lobov stands right now. Now, this commission hearing, I don't think it needed to go on as long as it did. But again, I think that the whole premise of it was that they wanted to scrutinize the whole process that went down for Jones to uh, get licensed to compete at UFC 232. Bob Bennett had said that uh, Andy Foster, who runs the commission in California, you know, basically said that they weren't exactly forthright with certain test results and uh, that that was an issue. So I think that's really what they wanted to do. That's what they wanted to get out of this whole situation was that um, they felt that there was some tactics that got Jones licensed quickly for, for that particular event. I don't think that they were looking to penalize Jones or to not license Jones. More have a kind of an open format debate about the methods in which Jones was licensed for UFC 232. Last minute, they had to move the event the week of Christmas. It was a whole... I mean, that, that week was, was crazy. It was crazy. So... They went back and looked at all that, and they were, I think, very kind to Jones, and they you know, didn't seem to grill Jones. It was more that they were grilling USADA and um, USADA's methods and, and all of that and uh, trying to get as much information about these tests as possible. Now, I don't really know what any of it means still. It's, it's so scientific and so strange that it's hard to ex- figure out exactly what it all means. Basically, he could have pulsing positive, pulsing tests, or sorry, pulsing results um, that have picograms, nanograms, whatever in his system that could show up for years and yield positive results, positive test results in terms of the amount of this M3 metabolite in his system. 
So what's it going to take to determine whether or not there has been any sort of readministration? I guess that's for the scientific, the scientific community to determine. I don't really know. But I think that they have accepted that that is a valid argument for why these positive tests keep getting yielded. And personally, I, you know, I don't think Jones at this point in time has any culpability or any, you know, I don't think that he's, um, he, he went under oath and said that he did not administer any sort of oral turinabol t- um, knowingly and also said that, um, you know, that he doesn't know how he got into his system under oath. So if we're to believe John Jones and these tests keep popping up, and I think a really, really important part of this, people keep bringing up Tom Lawler and they keep bringing up Frank Mir and that they had these small amounts in their system and that they got these two-year suspensions. Jones got suspended, people. Jones wasn't let off scot-free. He got a, a 15-month suspension that was, I guess, they had settled on 18 months and then they went to arbitration and then they went to 15 months. And, and that's the deal. He got suspended. And why did he get a lesser suspension than those other guys? Because he has money. Plain and simple. He got better representation. He had, was able to hire experts. So with all of that in mind, I think we need to take that into consideration. Instead of pointing fingers and saying that John, John Jones is getting off scot-free, he did not get off scot-free. He served a suspension, a long-time suspension. Jones was not active from... You know, pretty much, what was it? It was July 29th, 2017 until the end of 2018. Wasn't able to get, uh, get you know, he was under a suspension and then decided to wait until December to come back. Before that other Cormier fight that uh, happened, he was suspended for another, for Clomiphene and was inactive from April 23rd, 2016 to July 29th, 2017. So Jones has been penalized for both of those offenses. Now, did they take that into consideration when they gave him the second suspension? I don't know. That's Again, that's a USADA issue, not a Jones issue. If that's what USADA wants to do, it's not Jones's credibility that takes a hit. It's USADA's. And that was something that Anthony Marnell said. He felt that the credibility of commissions, of USADA, of the UFC even, that all these parties contributed to the reputations of these bodies being, I guess, sullied. And that's one of his concerns, and that's why they wanted to have this hearing. They don't want the credibility of these different governing bodies, etc., to take a hit. But I think that this is just going to be a gray area situation going forward. And Now, they're giving the one-fight license. That's fine. And then for any subsequent contest, they're going to have to do another one of these hearings. Now, they want Jones to be tested at least twice a month going forward. They want to get those results right away. Uh, they want to be able to analyze all of those results. They were trying to figure out what a threshold would be that could suggest readministration. And um, Dr. Eichner from Smyrtle Labs was unwilling to give such a threshold. He said, you got to look at the data in front of you, and then you can look and decide whether you're going to uh, determine that there has been readministration. So that's the gist of the hearing. And John Jones will be available to main event UFC 235 against Anthony Smith, where he's a gigantic favorite. And most people expect him to roll. Now, I think from a credibility standpoint, they've, a, they've got a really good point there. You keep seeing athletes, I saw Matt Brown came out in the last week, saying that there's a double standard with Jones. And again, I just, the problem I have with that statement is, you know, they say, oh, there's a zero tolerance policy. But if they're going to say that, that there's been no readministration of the drug and he's already been suspended... It's hard to justify another suspension because, as they keep pointing out, which I think is probably true, is that if they do suspend him, they could just go to arbitration or whatever, a mediation or uh, appeal the decision, and they're not going to get any time because they won't be able to prove that there's been readministration. Now, of course, you know, zero tolerance is zero tolerance, so they're going to have to figure out exactly what zero tolerance means. This is a very unique case, and I still don't really know how to wrap my head around it because there's just so much weird science behind it that I don't really know the background of. I've seen some people say that there's no way that Turinabol or M3 metabolites will stay in your system for that long. It's just not possible. 
None of the science has suggested that. Now, maybe there's new science. So it's hard for me to really give a, a good opinion on what they should do in these situations. Now, for people to think that Jones is still microdosing, you'd have to think that he's extremely brazen if he's willing to continue to administer oral terinabol, I mean, again, he's not under oath today that he's never administered it and that he's never knowingly got put it in his system um, and he doesn't know how it got in the system. But if people are going to say, oh, he's doping, you're going to have to act on the assumption that every single fight he's administering a tiny, tiny amount of terinabol that, that they've said, the science has said, doesn't have any sort of performance-enhancing effects. He'd have to be super brazen to... Do something like that. I just, I don't buy it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And then again, a lot of this doesn't in general. You have to go back and read all these, you know, peer-reviewed medical papers and medical journals and be a real expert on it. And again, if you want to know about this particular thing, follow Dimspace on Twitter. He's your guy. At Dimspace. He's constantly looking at all of these different suspensions and all that and and what what they mean and what the the tests mean he just has a really good feel for this particular thing and one of the other things that came up was that John Jones went 9 months without being tested during his suspension now that to me is insane that to me deserves answers needs answers requires answers because personally i think that that is uh, very negligent and is certainly uh, something that they have to look at, especially when they're going to license him going forward. USADA needs to answer for that. That seems crazy to me. The guy's under suspension. He should be tested more. Don't you think? I think that anybody who's suspended should be tested more often than those who aren't because if you are to believe that they you know, took a performance-enhancing drug, wouldn't you want them to be tested all the time? Like, even looking at Ben Rothwell, he hasn't been tested all that much, and he got a long-term suspension. So what are they doing? I don't know. This program, this USADA program, has a lot of good going for it and a lot of bad going for it. And, um, but at the same time, like I saw last week, Scott Coker goes on Twitter and says that uh, he doesn't agree with what the California State Athletic Commission does did uh, in terms of Jones and all that. It's like, well, you're, you don't have any testing. You've got, like, the guys know when they're going to be tested in, uh, in Bellator. I remember when Krokop fought, and Mike Mazzulli, who I think was overseeing the Mohegan Sun or the Mohegan Athletic Commission, he went and said, we are going to go to Croatia or Hungary or whatever, and we're going to test him during this two-week span. It's like, well, that's not testing. That's an IQ test, not a drug test. So... You know, I went on Twitter and said that really when Coker comes out against whether or not people should be, you know, whether or not the commission should be looking at drug testing and blah, blah, blah. It's like that doesn't have a modicum of credibility. He's putting on events in Texas and in Missouri and, you know, all of these different commissions that are so easy to sanction these events, like with Kimbo Slice and Dada, you know, may rest in peace, and Dada 5000. Dada 5000 almost died in that fight. They said that he might have, might have coded and then come back to life. Are you kidding me? So you're, you want to talk about drug testing? No, I, I don't think so, buddy. And on the topic of Bellator, Aaron Pico lost again. He lost to Henry Corrales at Bellator's card over the weekend. And I do want to give kudos to uh, Ryan Bader. Now, I know on, the, on Joe Rogan's show, they were saying that Bader's a free agent now. If I'm the UFC, I give him an instant title shot at light heavyweight if I can lure him. If I can sit, you know, call his agent and say, listen, he's going to get an instant shot at the light heavyweight title if he signs with us. Do it. There are no contenders. you got Anthony Smith at the front of the line right now. If you can get Bader back, you're taking away a two-division champion from Bellator. Offer him big money. You can, you can really hurt... Your rival organization. Now, I don't know how much of a rival the UFC considers Bellator, but if you look at what Bader's done since he's gone to Bellator, he's been a destroyer. He's been a wrecking crew. He beats Phil Davis, wins the championship, goes through this heavyweight tournament, beats Fedor in under a minute. It's absolutely insane. If you have a way of luring this guy over, do it. Now, Aaron Pico, this is the thing with Aaron Pico. From an offensive perspective in terms of his striking, 
It is among the best at featherweight in MMA today. His body shots are unbelievable. His pace is unbelievable. His power is unbelievable. But his defense is terrible. Just terrible. And when that fight started and Corrales tagged him at the very beginning, he will kind of walk through it, but his head was on a swivel. And he did not look like he liked getting hit like that. I said out loud, he's going to lose this fight. It's just his defense was not there. His hands were down. He took a big shot. And then he comes in. He nails Corrales, knocks him down, tries to go in for the kill. But rather than being patient about it, rather than being technical about it, he just threw caution to the wind and turned it into a firefight, and his chin did not hold up. He took a, a shot square on the jaw and went down. And you could see it happen. You could almost see it from a mile away. Because we've seen who Corrales has been in there with, and he's been in there with high-level competition. And Pico loses 4-2 and two now. Now, people are questioning whether or not he's legit. I mean, a win over Leandro Higo, that's a legit win. But when you go out there and you lose in that kind of fashion, you're 20 years of age, what's your ceiling? Now, if he starts mixing in wrestling, you know, people say, oh, I should wrestle more, I should wrestle more. I agree with that, but I think his striking is still his best asset. I think that if he can use the wrestling just as a way of opening up the striking, that's the key. Because I don't think Corrales went into that fight thinking, this guy's going to try to take me down. And that's a big, big problem if you're Aaron Pico. Aaron Pico needs to at least give the illusion that wrestling is going to be his, his go-to weapon. Because if he throws feints, if he, if he goes for takedowns, if he hits takedowns and he, he frustrates guys with the takedown, that's how, he can, that's how he can open up the striking. Be more unpredictable. I don't think he needs to be a wrestler. I don't think he needs to take guys down and, and sit on top of them. His striking is unreal. But he needs to work on his striking defense. He can't get into these firefights anymore. He's not going to have longevity in his career. He's going to get knocked out again. I think he's championship caliber for sure, but at least from an offensive standpoint. But until he fixes those elements of his game, he's got no. He's going nowhere. He can keep winning fights here and there, but if he's going to get into these exchanges with guys and throw caution to the wind, he's going to have to hope that. His chin holds up for longer than his opponent, and given his debut and given this fight with Corrales, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So Aaron Pico is a work in progress. He's got a lot of work to do. Again, from an offensive standpoint, the guy's absolutely electric. He throws and he hits. He's got great precision, and his body shots, I think, are among the best in MMA at any division. When he hits you to the body, hits you to the liver, you're going down. I don't care how tough you are. He's great at mixing it up, mixing up the striking, being... But again, until he gets the wrestling part... This guy was one of the top wrestlers in, in America. I mean, he tried out for the Olympics. One of the best of the best. So if he's able to use that wrestling and, and figure out a way to make that part of his offensive arsenal... That's where his success is going to come. The striking defense, of course, needs to be shored up. I mean, look at who he's training with, though. He's training with TJ Dillashaw. He's training with, um, the, you know, his teammate was victorious, Juan Archuleta on the weekend. Archuleta's a great fighter. He's training with killers. So he needs to work on that striking defense. He needs to get in there and, and focus on that, and he needs to be a lot more patient with his striking. He, he can't just... I don't blame him for going in for the kill. I mean, he knocked him down, but when you see your opponent's not going down again, you're not able to knock him down again, you got to take your foot off the gas, my friend. And that's a lesson that he's, he's come out, he's made a statement, you know, and it's, it seems like he's learned it, but, I mean, yeah, I, I need to see something here. I need to see him against another high-level guy. I don't think that they should feed, feed another guy to him. I think he should keep fighting high-level guys because that's the way he's going to learn. And starting your career off 4-2 and two at age 20, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be a champion one day. He can certainly be a champion one day. But, um, you know, need to see something. And when that guy's contract expires, if I'm the UFC and you don't see a lot of movement in the featherweight division, offer him a title shot. And the reason I keep saying offer title shots, offer title shots, is because that's the way you're going to be able to get people to your organization without you know, your rival matching them, without them being able to match certain terms. Because if you throw big money at them, 
And I think the UFC should throw big money at them because what happens? Bellator matches them? You're still hurting your, your opposition. You're still hurting your rival. You're making them cough up big money. Now, what's, what does that statement, does that send to the rest of the fighting community? Maybe that they can make more money too. Who knows? But there's money to go around in this business right now. You got the PFL giving a million dollars to guys that are winning their tournaments. Apparently, the checks have cleared. A lot of people are shocked by that. A lot of people thought it was a gimmick. But the checks are clearing. Hey, you can't fault, you can't fault people for joining that organization if they're going to make a million dollars. You see a guy like Sean O'Connell who couldn't really hang that much in the UFC. He had, got wins here and there and losses here and there. But you see him winning a million dollars? I mean, that's, that's enough to lure you away. UFC heading to Fortaleza, Brazil this weekend. Great card. I'm not just saying that. If you look at it from top to bottom, there are a lot, there's a lot to like about this particular card. Airs on TSN 5. Main card at 8 p.m. That might be the thing to like most about it. If you look ahead to the schedule, Kaposa on Twitter, Grabaka, at Grabaka Hitman. I think he's a must-follow. He posts a lot of really great videos. This guy, I don't know what this guy does for a living, but he's watching fighting all the time. He's all over it. So if you look at uh, you look at what he posted yesterday, you got Fortaleza, main card, 8 p.m. The first ESPN linear card, Naganu versus Velasquez, 9 p.m. Vlakovic versus Santos, 2 p.m. These are main card start times. Lewis versus Junior Dos Santos in Wichita, Kansas, 8 p.m. Eastern. There until 3 p.m. Eastern. Thompson versus Pettis, 8 p.m. Eastern. Barbosa versus Gaethje, 7 p.m. Eastern. We, we might have Saturday nights here, folks. We might be able to get out and go and do something. It's unbelievable. For someone on the East Coast, this is, a, this is a blessing. There's only one card that starts at 10 p.m. for the foreseeable future. That's the pay-per-view cards. One in Australia, UFC 234. That's fantastic. Gotta love what ESPN's doing here. I know they've had some hesitation to changing the start time of 10 p.m. When Dave Shaw was in studio here with me, he said that they weren't looking to change the uh, main card start time for these cards. And I guess ESPN is listening to people saying, I can't stay up till 2 a.m. every Saturday. Got three kids. I love this. Start these cards at 8 p.m., please, by all means. Main event, Rafael Sunsau versus Marlon Moraes. You'll hear Marlon Moraes later on the card. I don't know what to make of this fight because... Really, you know, Moraes has been on a tear since his first loss in the UFC, and that first loss was to Asuncao. Asuncao has also been on a tear. Moraes is finishing in a lot more dynamic fashion. I think if I'm the UFC, I, I hope that Moraes wins this fight because having Dillashaw versus Asuncao 3, I don't think whets anybody's appetite. I think you have to give the advantage to Moraes. He's the younger fighter. He's got a lot of momentum right now. He's been keeping busy. Since Asuncao fought, Moraes has only had two fights. Knockout over Matthew Lopez and a unanimous decision win over Rob Font. Marais, on the other hand, has had three, but two of them he won by KO in the first round. It was the main event of his last card. Asensio finally headlining a card. He's been with Zufa for almost 10 years. In April, will be 10 years since he's been with the WEC. And then, you know, following uh, that, the UFC. But uh, 36 years of age. Young guy like me, born in 1982. But uh, in terms of his athletic, his, uh, athletic prime, it's behind him. Asuncao's a great guy. Very, very nice guy. Very, very classy guy. But the problem is he doesn't put on exciting fights, and that's always been the knock against him. Wins decisions. Won a decision against Dillashaw. Decision against Caraway. Split decision against Sterling. Split decision against Marais. Close fights. Decision against uh, Rob Font. Unanimous decision. Fairly lopsided in that particular one. But uh, I, like this. I like this one a lot. I love watching Marlon Marais fight one of the most exciting guys in the UFC. But it's kind of the yin to his yang is Asuncao, who's just a very efficient fighter. Finds ways to win. And I, uh, I like the rest of this card, too, because you get in the co-main event, you get to see Jose Aldo fight on TV for the second time in how many years? I mean, the first, the first time was last year on Fox in July in Calgary. But before that, really, his last televised event was WEC 51 in September of 2010. So to get him on TV again is fantastic. And against Hanato Moicano, 
an up-and-comer in the division. I like it. And uh, last week, I took Jose Aldo uh, with my picks with Joe. Joe took uh, Charles Oliveira. But uh, I, I like I like Aldo. You know, when when you have Aldo against just about anybody, you're gonna have to prove to me that you have what it takes to beat a Jose Aldo. Holloway had done that. He had beaten some of the best and the best, best of the best rather, at featherweight. Wins over Stevens. Split decision over St- Stevens. Split decision over Tuhugov. Lost to Ortega. He was beating Ortega up until that point. That's great. But uh, decision win over Calvin Cater and uh, submission win over Cub Swanson. I mean, that that doesn't give me enough to lead me to believe that this guy's that far ahead of Jose Aldo or ahead of Jose Aldo at all. And this is going to be mostly a striking affair. And I think that Jose Aldo has a, a pretty good advantage in the striking department against anyone not named Holloway and McGregor. So uh, I'd be surprised to see Jose Aldo lose... Uh, this particular one. You know, people think that he's an elder statesman of the sport, but he's only 32 years old. Still pretty much in his athletic prime. He has a lot of miles, but, you know, Moicano's a young guy, 29 years old. But uh, I don't know. I, I just don't know what he's going to be able to do to pose a problem to Jose Aldo. Demian Maia against Lyman Good. This is another one of those situations where it's a big litmus test. Lyman Good, a great fighter, but, I mean, wins over Ben Saunders, Andrew Craig, and Nashawn Burrell are his last three wins. But this isn't lost to Zaleski Dos Santos, who I think is a phenomenal fighter. But to beat a guy like Damian Maya, especially a Damian Maya coming off three straight losses, all to wrestling-based fighters, I think that uh, Damian Maya is going to come in with a chip on his shoulder and show that he still got it. I think that a submission win is uh, in the cards for Damian Maya here against Lyman Good, unless Lyman Good takes the blueprint and is able to to pull off what he's been able to pull off previously. But uh, I just don't think he has the same wrestling pedigree as, I mean, you're looking at guys like Usman, (laughs) who's fighting for the title in uh, just over a month's time. Covington, who a lot of people thought should have been fighting for the title in uh, a month's time, and the championship himself, Tyron Woodley. So when you look at this particular matchup, I think you have to look at Demian Maia and say this guy's got a pretty marked advantage. Charles Oliveira against David Tamier. Tamir off, uh, opens is a pretty sizable favorite, but this is one of those ones where if Tamir can get out of the first round, I think this is his fight to, win, to, to, to lose. I think that his striking is uh, ahead of Oliveira's. He's looked fantastic in his UFC tenure. I don't think he's lost yet, has he? Yeah, no losses yet. No losses since his professional debut. Wins over Lando Venata, Nick Lentz, Dracar Closa. Those are good fighters. But Charles Oliveira's on a tear. He is on an absolute tear. Won four of his last five, all by submission. Has the most submissions in UFC history. Made a ton of money on fight night bonuses. So, this is, uh, he's been pretty active too. He's had a lot of, uh, he had three in 2018, two in 2017, two in 2016, three in 2015. So he's been a very, very active guy. He's getting his year off to a good start by taking a, a bout in February. First fight last year was in June, and he still fought three times. But uh, Oliveira is just so crafty, so good on the feet. His, submission his submissions are fantastic. His submission game is probably the best in the UFC. He's just, he gets that neck, and you're done. And he can beat you not just by you know, a, guillotine, a guillotine choke, but, I mean, his triangles are phenomenal. He, just, he has such an array of submission weapons that really the only way you can beat this guy is by staying on the feet with him, unless you're, I guess, Paul Felder. Paul Felder went to the ground with him and was able to survive. It's like jumping into a, into an ocean with with a shark, and he was able to survive. Johnny Walker, who looks phenomenal in his UFC debut, taking on Justin Ledette. That one I'm looking forward to. I don't really know. I think we need to see more from Walker before I can anoint him as like a, you know one of the next guys in the division. Justin Ledette, to me, is a, a really, really good stand-up guy. Got destroyed by Alexander Rakic, but that was pretty much a a situation where he was getting taken down and, and had uh, his opponent on top of him. I think Walker's going to uh, stand with him. And if that happens, you've got, you got power versus uh, precision, Ledette being the precision fighter. Very, very technical striker, great boxer. And I think that that's going to be an interesting one. And then you've got the always dangerous Livia Henata Souza against uh, Sarah Frota. Now, if you haven't seen Sarah Frota's uh, matchup in uh, the Dana White Contender Series, I highly recommend you watch it because... Uh, she just absolutely walked through her opponent. She was just throwing strikes, bang, 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 first round KO finish. Tough, tough girl. 
looks tough also. Got a lot of face tattoos and whatnot. But uh, Souza's just, uh, she can win in an array of ways. Phenomenal with submissions. But if this stays standing, I mean, I don't know if I would go against Frota. I think Frota's got uh, a really good arsenal on the feet. I mean, she doesn't have a great striking defense, but she's got a lot of power. She walks forward. She'll uh, she'll hunt you down. But uh, if, if that happens and she gets careless and Souza can take her to the ground, that's going to be a tough night for her. Uh, don't don't want to talk too much about the prelims. Um, the first fight on on the card, uh, Bontorin versus uh, Babulatov. Again, Bontorin, if you want to watch a really good contenders race fight, the second round of his fight against uh, Gustavo, Gustavo Gabriel, I believe was the, the guy's name, was just awesome. You got to go back and watch that. It's on YouTube. Check it out. And he's against the uh, one of the top prospects at flyweight, Magomed Babulatov, and this is going to be contested at flyweight. Now, uh, Babulatov hasn't fought since October 2017 where he lost his first fight by knockout in the first round to John Moraga. But uh, this is a guy who was the uh, flyweight champion of the World Series of Fighting. So you'll have the uh, former flyweight and bantamweight champions of the World Series of Fighting, him, him and uh, Marlon Moraes on the same card. So this is a, a good bounce-back spot for Babulatov. He's a big favorite here, and if this goes to a decision, I think this is his fight to lose. Uh, Bontorin's striking didn't look fantastic to me, but uh, very, very good submissions. But when you're against a guy like Babulatov, I think that... Uh, He's able to get out of those bad positions. Uh, Ricardo Ramos versus Said Nurmagomedov. Now, this is one where I think that the line is a little bit off because it's, it's pretty much almost like an even money situation. And uh, when you see Nurmagomedov, you think, wow, Khabib, Khabib. But these, like, if you watch Nurmagomedov against Scoggins, he probably lost that fight. I think a lot of people thought, thought he lost that fight. And uh, I think that Ramos is twice the fighter that Scoggins is. No disrespect to Justin Scoggins, but Ramos is just dangerous everywhere. So I think that Ramos has a really good advantage. He was actually almost my pick last week when we were looking at, uh, at our picks. So um, I think Ramos ends up winning this, uh, this one inside the distance. Uh, another fight was added. Geraldo de Fridas Jr. versus Felipe Colares. I uh, haven't had a chance to look at, the, at their work just yet. Uh, Junior Albini versus uh, Jairginho Rosenstruck, the first Surinese fighter. A Surinamese fighter, sorry, Surinamese fighter against uh, Junior Albini. And uh, Rosenstruck has some really good uh, kickboxing wins. I think he has a win over, like, Adek Bowie, who's a really, really high-level heavyweight kickboxer. So this fight stays on the feet, and this guy doesn't get tired, and he's had three rounds before. I think it's his fight to lose. I mean, Albini's going to have to make this an ugly fight if he wants to beat Rosenstruck. He's going to have to try to take him down and beat him on the ground, but... If this fight stays standing, Rosenstruck is really, really solid. Uh, won his last fight, I think, 10 seconds. So uh, watch out for this guy. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, Mauro Romero Barella against uh, Tyler Santos. Another uh, Dana White contender series fighter from Brazil. Santos is really, really, really advanced in her striking. Really technical. Great leg kicks. Moves forward. Great striking defense. Really good head movement. This is her fight to lose. I think that she, uh, she gets it done by decision. And uh, Barella's a good fighter. I mean, Barella has uh, a win over uh, uh, Calindra Faria. She's, you know, she's no slouch. But I, I think Tyler Santos is going to be a top 10 fighter at flyweight by the end of the year if she's able to stay active. She's really, really solid. Uh, Thiago Alves versus Max Griffin. Alves seems like he has his best days behind him. Uh, Max Griffin uh, had that great win over Mike Perry. You've seen uh, Alves losing four of his last five against tough, tough opponents. Condit, Jim Miller. Um, when he tried to move down to lightweight and missed weight by, uh, by what was it, six pounds. Uh, Millinder, who, who finished them, and then uh, Alexei Kuchenko is undefeated. His only win is over Patrick Cote. Now, this is an easier opponent uh, compared to who he's fought previous, but Max Griffin is still, like, he's, he's been on a roll. Lost, lost his last fight to Cur- Curtis Millinder, but win over Mike Perry uh, last year. He was an underdog in that one. He looks like a, a tough fighter, so I think it's his. Uh, I think Griffin is probably going to win that one, but you just never know. Alves, when he's fighting against a lower level of competition, we need to see what he has left. And uh, Marcus Perez versus Anthony Hernandez. Uh, Hernandez, another Dana White contender series alum, looked very good on the show. And Marcus Perez, a former LFA middleweight champion. Now Perez is an underdog there, so you might want to take a look at that one too. He's got a really good pedigree uh, as the uh, former L- LFA uh, middleweight champion. So that's the card, and it's a good one. I, again, I think that all of these. The thing I really like about it is it's very evenly matched across the board. A lot of good uh, good matchmaking, so worth watching. It'll be uh, on TSN 5. I believe the preliminary card starts at 6 and the main card at 8 on TSN 5, so check that one out. Uh, I highly recommend this one. I think there's going to be a lot of good action on this particular event.
The next weekend, we've got Whitaker versus Gastelum. I'm looking forward to that one, too. But that card is kind of a dog's breakfast outside of the, the main event and co-main event. So uh, let's go to our guest. He's the former World Series of Fighting bantamweight champion and possibly looking to uh, earn himself a bantamweight title fight later this year against TJ Dillashaw. If he can get a win over his uh, former adversary, Rafael Asensio, it's the rematch from their first bout that took place in Marais' UFC debut at UFC 212 in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, back in uh, June of 2017. I believe that's the card where uh, Aldo lost for the first time to Max Holloway. It is. And uh, that was a solid one. So he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. It's Marlon Marais. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. We are now joined by one of the headliners for the UFC's Fight Night event in Fortaleza, Brazil this weekend, a number one contender's match, at least according to Dana White, for the bantamweight title currently held by TJ Dillashaw, who's actually coming off a loss. He's Marlon Moraes, one of the most exciting guys in the division. Thanks for joining us today, Marlon. Uh, thank you so much, man. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. You're someone who has a lot of knockouts. You've got five out of your last seven fights have been won by stoppage, um, specifically a knockout stoppage. You saw what happened to TJ Dillashaw just a few weeks ago, stopped early, early in the first round by Henry Cejudo. Does that play to your advantage if you do get a title shot that maybe his chin is susceptible? Definitely, man, definitely. If if I I got that, you know, I got tough fight to Derby and we need that one and we're gonna we're gonna go and, and and see see how he is now. You mentioned it is a tough fight against the Rafael Sansao. It's your only loss in the UFC. You lost uh, for your UFC debut against the Sansao split decision. Very, very close, close matchup. Uh, does it mean more to you to try to avenge that loss than it would to, say, fight like a Dominic Cruz for the number one contendership? Man, I'm definitely a competitor, you know, and I would fight anybody the UFC put to fight with me. But uh, I always, if I sign with the UFC, I want to fight for the title. And fight Asun Song, it's uh, for me uh, gets me to the top, you know. And also, uh, it's my rematch, you know. So I'm very happy with the opportunity. I worked it very hard. And Saturday night, I'm ready to win. You guys had been star- uh, sparring partners in the past about six years ago. Um, do you guys have any sort of relationship still? Is this uh, is he a, an old friend of yours? Would you say? I think we have mutual respect, you know. But we're not that close. He's a good guy. And but Saturday night, it's about his legacy, my legacy, and I'm gonna do whatever I have to do to win. Now the bantamweight division has been pretty stagnant. Um, I guess in the last, I think it's been three or maybe even four years. There's only been four people who have competed for it. It's been uh, Uriah Faber who uh, lost against uh, Dominic Cruz in his first defense, T.J. Dillashaw, uh, Cody Garbrandt, and, and Cruz. Do you feel like uh, a lot of the different um, bantamweights have become impatient with having to wait for a title shot and that it's just been the same people over and over again? Yeah, we're changing this Saturday night, you know. I'm ready to go out there, win, and this division is going to be good again, you know. I'm going to get my shot. We're going to make everything change. We're going to put fights on, on the line. Uh, I think this is a little bit crazy, and the, the bantamweight division being on Corey, DJ, uh, Cruz, uh, one's hurt, another one's not hurt, Saber, and man, let's, let's change this. Let's get a new blood there, and let's get my blood, you know. Uh, I'm ready, and I can't wait for Saturday night to establish my position. We know how good TJ Dillashaw is. He's looked fantastic uh, in all of those aforementioned fights at Bantamweight, even the one with Cruz where he lost. He looked great in that fight. Um, Looking at what happened with Henry Cejudo and how quickly Henry Cejudo beat him. Cejudo's a guy that only had one stoppage prior to that in the UFC. Why do you think it was so easy for Cejudo to beat TJ Dillashaw in that manner? Man, uh, it's two, two great fighters, you know, and it's sometimes just a matter of a punch. And Cejudo is a very good fighter. Dillashaw is a very good fighter. I don't think nothing changed for me. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of both of them. They're both good fighters. I just think we go in there, we put all on the line, and sometimes it's going to be Cejudo day, sometimes it's going to be Dillashaw day, and that was Cejudo's. When you watched the fight, what was going through your head when you saw how easy it was for Cejudo to get that victory? 
people just see that fight, you know, people don't understand uh, how hard he worked to get in there, how hard the Lashaw and I'm a fighter. I, I put my, I put myself in there and I know. So that wasn't easy, you know, that was, was a good fight, a quick stop. I think was a good stop. And that, that was one more day for them, you know. Uh, you said on Ariel Hawani's show that you were embarrassed that the bantamweight champion lost in that kind of fashion. Do you still feel that way, you know, a couple weeks later? Yeah, man, it's not good, you know. We are 135 pounds. We're going down. We should win. And we didn't. So let's fix this. We're going to make some changes on our division soon. Now that people have seen TJ Dillashaw lose like that, if you go in there, you beat a Sun Sao, you end up fighting Dillashaw and beating Dillashaw in, in a similar fashion or an early knockout or a knockout at all over the course of five rounds, do you feel like it will, it will diminish your accomplishment knowing how good TJ is? But the fact that people, the most recent thing people remember is that loss to Cejudo? Yeah. To be honest with you, I'm thinking about my fight Saturday night. I want to win my fight, and after that, I don't know. And I, I, I can't lie to you. I never thought about what you just said, you know. And I, I just prefer to think about that after Saturday night. What do you think is the biggest uh, fit problem that Asun Sao is going to, uh, to cause for you? I mean, he's a very patient fighter, very technical fighter, uh, doesn't usually get into firefights. Um, what, what do you think is the most um, tough asset that he possesses that's going to make it difficult for you to beat him? I think it's everything, you know. He he's a tough fighter, and like you just said, he has good technique. He's patient, and I'm going out there to break all this, you know, bring him to my game, and win the fight. Who are some guys in the bantamweight division that you think are also in the mix for the title um, right now? I mean, Dominic Cruz unfortunately out for the year. Cody Garbrandt kind of going back to the drawing board. What do you think um, of the other challengers at bantamweight? Is there anybody that stands out to you? I think a lot of good guys, you know, see Sterling, see uh, Jim Rivera, uh, Cruz, if he come back, Benicure, you see uh, Brazilian guys fighting with uh, Corey, Pedro Munoz, improve a lot. I think as many guys on the, on the mix, you know, I think uh, that's a lot of challenges on the division. Today there was the Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, hearing. Uh, Conor McGregor got a six-month suspension, $50,000 fine, and uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, a nine-month suspension, $500,000 fine. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but do you have any thoughts on, on those uh, those penalties? Man, I don't know, you know. I don't know. I don't know anything about this. This is Conor and Khabib, you know. Uh, I really like Khabib. He's a great fighter. I like Conor. He's a great fighter. Have a lot of respect for both, but I don't know. This is this is something that the commission gotta decide. What's your prediction for how you defeat uh, Rafael Sunsau? Do you think if it goes five rounds that you have uh, less of a chance of winning? You're you're more uh, likely going to try to to get him out of there inside the distance. I'm ready for five rounds. You know, I'm ready to go out there and and, and put my game and, and and win the five rounds. I mean, if you look at a Sun Sao, his only loss in the last seven years is a loss to TJ Dillashaw, and he actually has a win over Dillashaw also. Do you think that a Sun Sao might be the most underrated guy in the entire UFC? Yeah, definitely. He's a good fighter, you know. I have a lot of respect. But I'm ready, man. I'm ready to go out there Saturday night and win the fight. All right, Marlon, thanks so much for doing this. We appreciate it. Main event this weekend, UFC Fight Night in Fortaleza, Brazil. Rafael Sun Sao, a rematch with Marlon Moraes. Thanks for joining me, Marlon. Thank you, man. That was Marlon Moraes. Has a big, big matchup coming up this Saturday. UFC Fortaleza. Wish the weather here was like it is in Fortaleza. But uh, the crime there isn't very, you know. Yeah, I, I'll take the bad weather instead of the crime. There's been a lot of crime. They, they were thinking of moving that event due to the uh, crime in Fortaleza, Brazil. Looking at the odds for that main event, Marlon Rice minus 170. He was a bigger favorite last week, and some uh, some big steam came in on uh, a Sunsau in the recent days. Aldo still an underdog, plus 105. As I mentioned, Ramos minus 115 against Normago Madoff, so that's uh, that's an interesting one. I think uh, if you care about that aspect of the sport, you should take a look at that one. So uh, there you have it.
that's the event. And I think that there's a, a lot to like about it. Next week, Joe should be back. We have UFC 234 on the horizon in Australia. Basically, it's going to blow the middleweight division wide open. We're going to see what happens because uh, we've got a title eliminator between Anderson Silva and uh, Israel Adesanya. And we've got a championship fight. Whitaker versus Gaslam, finally, after they were the uh, captains on the uh, final edition of Tough that we know of. And Dana White says that show's going to continue in some incarnation, but the uh, the last televised one, at least. And um, I'm really looking forward to that one. Gastelum, surprisingly to me, a big underdog. Uh, was it plus 230. That's really shocking to me because I think he's really, really close to Whitaker in terms of talent. Might even be even on, you know, pretty much even with him. And you look at Adesanya, minus 600 against Anderson Silva. We talked about that last week with Joe, and I was saying that I would never put that kind of... Uh, price on Adesanya, even though he's basically a younger version of uh, Anderson Silva. I still think that that's uh, a tough one. So that's uh, that's the card, and I, I don't even know what the next best fight is on that card. Might be like Jim Crute versus Sam Alvey. Actually, I, I like Kyung Ho Kong anytime he he fights. He's against uh, Teruto Ishihara. That should be a fun fun one at the very least. And uh, that's that. That's next weekend. Pay-per-view. Then after that, next the following week is Nagano versus Velasquez. I'm looking forward to that one. Another one where a main event competitor, I think, is too big of an underdog. That's Nagano at plus 220. Very, very surprising. But uh, let's, let's wrap it up here. Next week, Joe and I will break down UFC 234. We'll recap UFC in Fortaleza. Talk a little bit more about this John Jones situation. Recap the press conference that's uh, taking place Thursday, UFC 235. Maybe we'll have some fun sound bites for you. But until then, this has been the TSN MMA Show. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.